Good morning. I'm Mark, for those of you that I haven't met. Um, and this morning, as you may have gathered, things are a little bit different. We're doing things a little bit out of order. Um, and we get to have our youth with us for the whole service. If I can make one controversial request, could parents grab those jingle bells? I, that's it. That's the only controversial request. Um, so we're going to reflect on this passage from Isaiah 35 this morning uh, in three different parts. So I'm going to just have a quick reflection on kind of the wonder of this passage, and then we're going to move through the rest of our service, and we'll, we'll, we'll look at it at a, at a, through a couple of different lenses uh, later on. But I wanted to thank the kids for, for making that video, for Jeff for putting that together. Um, it was really helpful, and it was really helpful to have you guys talk about some of the things that frighten us or some of the things that can be kind of dangerous or scary about the wilderness. Um, I don't know if, if any of you have ever driven to Spokane. I grew up in Spokane, and the drive from Seattle to Spokane takes you through some of the lushest green parts of our country, but also through some wilderness. There are some stretches there, Moses Lake, Ritzville, that are wilderness, and there's not much going on there. And I don't know if the wilderness is a scary place to you guys, um, but for the people of Israel, for God's people where they grew up, um, the wilderness was a frightening place. The city... The city was a place of safety and protection, right? The city had walls. It had gates that you could close to keep out enemies. The city had community, had family. And the wilderness was opposite of all of that. The wilderness was a place of danger. It was a place of isolation, um, a place of fear. When you had to travel from city to city, you had to travel through the wilderness. I, I have a Google Earth shot here of Israel, modern day. And I don't know if you can tell here, but does that look like rainforest or something else? <laughs> yes. So that is, uh, that is dry land uh, that, that is the promised land that God's people were, were living in. And so that's what makes Isaiah's description of the wilderness bursting into bloom so powerful, is that it's the complete undoing of everything that they've known, Right? The wilderness is the wilderness uh, because it's wild and nothing grows there. The desert is the desert because there's no water there. And yet, Isaiah's description is of a desert that has water gushing out of it. It doesn't make sense, right? It's, it's these, these things don't go together except in God's vision of the future that he gives Isaiah. That's what's incredible about this. Right? Isaiah's writing this to some people that were in a tough spot. God's people... They had been in the promised land, but they had ignored God, and so uh, God had, had sent them into exile so that they would remember him, so that they would turn back to God. And so Isaiah, a lot of his message to God's people is, remember God, you've forgotten him, you need to remember him. But a lot of his message is also, here's what it's going to look like in the future. Here's what God is going to do. Here's the hope that you have to look forward to. And it's beyond what you could even imagine. Right? These categories of water gushing forth in the desert, the desert coming into bloom, they don't make sense unless God is behind this work, unless God is at work bringing about these transformations, these changes. And it's not just for creation, right? It's for people. It's for all of creation, both the, the, the jackals and the, and the animals and, and the desert, but also for God's people who are weak. They'll be made strong. Those that are lame will be healed physically, emotionally, spiritually. Transformation and healing are what God is up to. 
my favorite bit in this, uh, in this passage is verse 4, which says this, Say to those with fearful hearts, be strong, do not fear. Your God will come. He will come to make an end of anything that brings harm to you, whether that's from within or from without. He will come to save you. And this, this little phrase, fearful hearts, the Hebrew for that, and this is the only original language stuff we'll get into this morning, the Hebrew for that is literally hasty hearts. You know, and it, it conjures up images of anything that would make your heart race, right? Fear, anxiety, worry. But I love that phrase, hasty hearts. Because are we not a people of hasty hearts who need some good news spoken to us this morning? Who need to hear, don't be afraid. Your God will come, will come to save you. So the first invitation for us this morning is simply to marvel and to wonder at this incredible imagery that Isaiah paints for us. This is what God is going to do, and it's beyond our understanding. It's, it's taking the way that we think the world works and flipping it on its head and saying, nope, I'm, I'm not bound by the way the world works. I'm not bound by, uh, by people who it seems inevitable that there would be hatred between people. God says, nope, I'm, I've come to reverse that. Uh, it seems inevitable that, uh, that I, I would struggle with the same things my whole life long. And God says, nope, I've come to reverse that, to undo that and to make something new. Uh, last week's passage from Isaiah 11 is in a very similar vein, right? Very descriptive of all of these animals that under kind of the natural way of things would be enemies. Uh, but instead, Isaiah is describing this, this scene where a wolf and a, a lamb are lying down together. Well, that doesn't make any sense. Those are, those are sworn enemies. But again, God is up to something that is, that is hard for us to grasp how beautiful and good and upside down it is from the way that the world works. So I, I thought another way maybe to help us enter into this wonder would be to, uh, to see a little short video of animals that are normally not playing together, playing together. Uh, have you heard of the four chapters of the Bible? Don't, don't look in your Bibles. There's more than four chapters. But this is a, a way of thinking about the, the grand story of Scripture from Genesis to Revelation that, kind of, that, that talks about these four main movements of Scripture, the four chapters of Scripture. And one of the ways that you can describe them are uh, ought, is, can, will. Ought, is, can, will will. Maybe, maybe a, a, an easier way to, to think of it is to say that the, the ought of Scripture is creation, right? This is the world as God intended it. When God made everything, he said it was very, oh, I, was, I was hoping for some, some little, a little more oomph in the answer there. When, when God made everything, he said it was very, yeah, oh, that was good, that was good. Uh, so that's the ought of creation. This is how things ought to be. But then we get very quickly in the story of Scripture to what is, which is the fall. Uh, and, and sin comes and enters this world, and it twists everything that is good in God's creation. It doesn't make anything of its own. It takes all of the good things that God has made, and it twists them. And this is the reality that we live in. This is the world. Uh, sin has twisted these good things. I'm going to skip chapter 3 real quick and go to chapter 4, which is what will be. 
This is the promise of all things made new. This is the description that Isaiah is giving us here in chapter 35. This is the book of Revelation. This is what will be when Christ will return and make all things new again. That's the will, that's what will be, that the consummation are, are all things new. Chapter 3 can, or, or another way to think of it is the redemption, the redemptive work of Christ, which begins and inaugurates his kingdom, uh, but we live in the tension, right? This is where we live. We live in chapter 3 of the four chapters of the biblical story, which is in the tension between what is and what will be. We're, we're in the midst of that. We do live in the world as it is, twisted by sin, but we, as, as followers of Christ, as those who've been redeemed by Christ, we, we get foretastes and we get to experience moments where um, what will be is kind of brought back into our, kind of back from the future <laughs> into our reality, right? Where we are being healed, we are being redeemed. So, that's, that's kind of what Advent is really about, actually. It's sort of locating us in between the is and the will and experiencing the tension that we, that we have there, living in that tension. Um, I'm going to jump back to the very beginning of the service. Riley, thank you for reading so much. Uh, we read from Matthew 11, and it, it's the scene where John the Baptist, who's in prison, his disciples are a little bit confused. Uh, and they go to Jesus, and they've got some concerns. And they ask him, are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? And th what they mean by the one who is to come, right, is the Messiah. Are you the Messiah? Are you the one who's coming to save us? Now, there was some confusion about what that would look like. Like, what did they need saving from? And, and there was a lot of people that thought what they needed saving from was the Romans, the Romans were the ones who were in charge. They were making life difficult for God's people. Uh, and so a lot of people were starting to think maybe Jesus was the one to come and save them, but he wasn't doing the things that they thought he should do to free them from the Romans. He wasn't building an army. Uh, he wasn't um, running for political office. Uh, and so they were a little bit confused. And so they, they did a very reasonable thing, and they simply asked him very straightforwardly, uh, are you the one who is to come? Are you the Messiah? Or should we find somebody else? And Jesus responds, not just by saying, yes, I'm the one. I, that's, check that box. I am that one. Instead, what he does is he quotes from Isaiah. And he says, go and tell John this. The blind receive sight. The lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised. And good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. Jesus is saying that his life and ministry fulfill what Isaiah was talking about here. They inaugurate something new, God's kingdom. That God himself is the only one who can actually do these things, who can bring life and water out of the barren desert, who can bring healing to that which is broken. And Jesus is saying that that's happening. If you're paying attention, if you're watching my life, if you're watching my, my, my ministry, listening to my word, that's happening. Go and tell John that. So we are here in this in-between season. Uh, and we do a thing every week that helps us uh, connect some of these dots, I think. And it's something that brings us face-to-face -face with Jesus. We come, to the, we come to communion. We come to the bread and to the cup. 
to bring us face to face with Jesus and to his, his work on the cross, which began this ultimate redemption of all things. And we get to experience that here and now. And, and when we come to the table, uh, we, we do two things that help locate us in this tension, right? We look backward to the historical event of Jesus giving himself for our on our behalf on the cross. Nobody took his life from him. He willingly gave it up for us. We look back to that event. We look back to his resurrection from the dead. But we also, we, we look forward to a hope, to a future. And this, in some ways, can represent sort of this, this feast that awaits us when Christ returns. The kinds of things that Jesus talks about, that Isaiah talks about, uh, these are only things that God can do. God is the only one who can recreate this new life. And Jesus is saying, if you're paying attention, if you're paying attention to me, you'll see. I'm actually God in the flesh who has come to redeem my people. So we're going to come, as we do every week, to communion. Uh, I realize we've got uh, some of the kids here that are normally in Sunday school when we do communion. Uh, we do have a, a class that prepares our, our second and third graders for communion, but we're going we're gonna to leave that up to the parents if you want your your children to come and receive communion, or if you want them to come and just receive a blessing, that's up to you. Uh, we don't believe that anything should come between uh, the children of God and, <laughs> and the experience of the presence of God. Um, and in, in many ways, each one of us, we come with uh, only a limited understanding of the grace that we receive, right? Uh, all of us are growing in that. So uh, we'll let that be up to the parents' discretion uh, for the, the children to receive communion this morning. Or, here's another true thing about God. He does not force himself on us. He offers himself to us and he woos us and draws us, but he does not force himself. As we come to the table, uh, would you join me in prayer? Gracious and glorious and majestic God, we long to see the day of new beginnings. We long to see the day when the desert rejoices and blooms. This will be a day of great rejoicing. And while we wait, would you strengthen our weak hands, make feeble knees firm? Would you give courage to our trembling hearts and give us the assurance and the confidence and the courage that you are in fact with us? On that great day, you will heal our infirmities. The blind will see, the deaf will hear, the lame will dance, and the mute will sing for joy. For all your people, you will make a road, the holy road, to approach you. All captives will be set free, and they'll come home with singing, with joy and with gladness. Lord, as we long for that day, help us to live in this moment here and now, anticipating your kingdom living as people of joy and gladness, being people who proclaim good news to the poor, who hear it and understand our weakness and yet receive from you strength. You have forgiven our sins. Your work on the cross completely and fully has covered our sins with your love and removed them from us as far as the east is from the west. 
May we come and receive these elements in that confidence and in that hope this morning. We pray all this in the name of Jesus who taught his disciples to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Last time. Everybody doing all right? I want us to reflect as our final journey through Isaiah 35, our final step, um, actually on steps, on walking. There's a highway in Isaiah's vision of God's future for his people. Um, And God's people are walking on it without fear, without threat of danger. It's a way of peace filled with singing, filled with joy. So ultimately, it's this way that leads us into God's presence. Do you, know, do you know what the word Christian means? Little Christs. That's right. And when they first were called Christians, it was not meant as a compliment. It was a derogatory, slanderous thing, like, oh, Christians, oh, these little Christs. And the church, as we have been wont to do over the years, were like, what you meant as an insult, we will own as a badge of pride. Christians, little Christs. And the way we become little Christs is to follow after the big Christ, to follow after Jesus. Right? None of us has arrived. We are those who have been redeemed, but we are also those who are struggling, right? We are those who are walking on this way of holiness, being made into the image of Christ. Uh, We've not yet arrived, but we will. That's the hope. That's the, the good news. This is how we live how we live day to day in this in-between, in-between the is of sin, the given of how the world works, and the what will be of the future. And so the, the, the act of walking, or the metaphor of walking, I think is really helpful for us. This is how we walk this life. We, we do it one step at a time. And we have some in our midst here who are pretty new at walking. And I did not plan this or ask around, but are there any here who have just learned to walk in the last couple months that would be willing to give a demonstration? <laughs> I know you've been, I know you've learned how to walk for a long time. Yeah? We got a volunteer? Come on down. Here's the thing. So uh, my, my nephew, Joshua, is also in this camp. He must be down with the wonderful people watching kiddos. Um, and when you're watching a, a new kid, like about a one-year-old, which we have a lot of here, uh, learning how to walk, the intentionality of every step, and the focus on not keeling over, (laughs) but on catching yourself with that next step, I think is instructive for us. Because we who have been walking for a long time, we don't think about it. We know where we're going, and we just go there. All right. But I think, so this is Martin. Hey, Martin, I've got some crayons. You want to come see the crayons, though? Thanks, Adiola. Yeah, maybe if, oh, there's the smile. <laughs> hey, bud. Want some crayons? <laughs> classic, classic. Oh, a water bottle. We, we, oh, yeah. We have a video of Amelia. 
This is classic, of course. All right, well. Give me a flag. Am I, am I the distraction? I'm not looking. Nobody look. In many ways, all right, while this is happening, here's the, point, here's the point I'm trying to make while this happens. If I can make a point while we watch the, yes! So good, so good. Thank you, Adio. <laughs> you did so good, bud. High five, high five. Nope, all right. I don't blame you. Here's the point. We all are beginners and ever will be beginners on this walk of faith. None of us have this thing mastered the way that you and I have walking from point A to point B mastered. All of us are toddlers like this guy. And so the question I think for us this morning is what is that next step? If this life of faith that we're on is, is walking, is a journey, um, then we don't have to, we, we know the destination and we know that it is going to be only God's grace and his faithfulness that brings us to the destination. Uh, but today, right now, as we live in this tension-filled moment between what is the givenness of the, the twisting of sin, of everything that's good, and this ultimate hope of everything made new, uh, the question I think for us is what is the next step, our next toddling step of faith? on this journey that we're on? And that's, that's a question that I cannot answer for you. Uh, that is a question that you have to sit with, um, that we all have to sit with, and, and ask God, God, what is that next step of faith that you're leading me on? Maybe for those of you who are in school, maybe there's uh, someone in your class who's having a hard time, and there's a way that you can love them by coming alongside them, by showing them kindness. Maybe it's needing to speak to someone in your life about your faith. Maybe that's the next step of faith. Maybe there's a relationship that needs to be reconciled to, to show just a taste of this beautiful future that Isaiah talks about. Right? All of us are just learning how to walk. So the question is, as we walk this highway, uh, what is that next step? And, and steps... Right, little steps here, they involve uh, change, which can be scary. Taking a step of faith can be a scary thing. Um, but the change that God is bringing about ultimately leads to beauty. Uh, this whole passage, Isaiah 35, it's all about transformation, right? Deserts changed and transformed into gardens. Broken people changed and transformed into whole people, healed and whole. Sorrow, change, transformed into joy and song. We, uh, we take an offering each week, and uh, we're going to do that now. But the, the primary thing that we're doing when we take an offering is not funding the church. We are grateful for the resources we have to pay staff, to pay rent, to provide, buy candles, things like that. Uh, but the primary thing is not the funding of the church. The primary thing is that we are offering our lives to God. And this essentially is every step of faith on this journey, is a new chance to say, 
not my will, but yours be done. Lord, what would you have me do? And so I want to invite you as we take our offering this morning to ask that question, to just ask God, Lord, what is the next step or a next step of faith? You don't have to figure out the rest of your life this morning. God is faithful. He will hold you. He will lead you. Um, but ask and, and ask with listening ears, Lord, what is that next step? And then as we take our offering this morning, and I mean, some of you, you know, your banks write the check and it comes in the mail and uh, others of you have given stock, which I don't know if you all knew, we can receive stock. So I put that out there. You can talk to Alex Mitchell, our treasurer. Uh, but um, as the offering baskets are passed, the, the point of, of our giving money, the money is a symbol for our lives, for offering uh, everything that we have to God, yielding ourselves to God. That's what we're doing in the offering. So we're going to sing the doxology like we do. We're going to receive our offering. And, uh, um, but as we do that, come with this, with this question. Uh, Lord, what is this next step that you're inviting me into?